Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 27 of the Non-Anxious Leader podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and today we're going to talk about how to stand up for yourself. What do you do when somebody tells you to do something you don't want to do? How do you express that you disagree with somebody's opinion when they are passionately expressing it in ways that make you feel anxious? In last week's episode, we talked about how to self-regulate. Self-regulation is just half of the equation. Being able to self-regulate enables you to keep a difficult situation from getting worse. In family systems theory, standing up for yourself in a healthy way is called taking a non-anxious emotional stand. If self-regulation is the non-anxious part, the other part of it is the emotional stand. This is speaking up for yourself. It's expressing your feelings. It's saying what you believe. A non-anxious emotional stand is doing this in a non-reactive way. It is neither fighting back, getting defensive, nor giving in. It's the ability to say what you believe in a healthy way. My own experience is that this does not come naturally. I've had to work on it for a long time, and even in some situations I still find it hard to do. One of the major reasons this is true for me, and for most people, is the problem of seriousness. Seriousness is a funny thing. In life, you have to be serious or you will be irresponsible. You have to show up to work on time, pay your bills, and take out the garbage. If you don't pay attention, your life will become a mess. Life is hard enough without being responsible. However, if you are too serious, you get anxious. And this is a problem. Edwin Friedman said, nobody gets the problem they can handle. This is because if we could handle it, then it wouldn't be a problem. It's often our super serious efforts to deal with a challenge that makes it a problem. How can you be responsible without being too serious? One way is to remember that you can only be responsible for yourself. Another is to remember that it's often our serious, anxiety-laden efforts that make a challenge into a problem and a simple problem into a chronic problem. In last week's episode, I discussed the nature of chronic conditions. These are perpetual or recurring patterns of anxiety that result in resistance, conflict, anger, and resentment. It's that ongoing fight that you have with a loved one. It may not happen all the time. It may not even happen often, but when it does, you know exactly how it's going to go down. You can predict how it will start, what each person will say, and even how it will end. This is a chronic condition. As I covered, a chronic condition requires feedback to remain chronic. Feedback can either be reactive or adaptive. Reactive feedback happens automatically and is laced with anxiety. It can be defensive or argumentative. Adaptive feedback is also automatic, but it's giving in. It's not standing up for yourself, even when you don't agree with what the other person is saying. 
When someone attacks you anxiously, you don't want to fight back. Don't argue. Don't agree. This is easier said than done, but as I said in the last episode, the easiest way to do this is to listen. What listening will do is also will help you to separate process from content. Emotional process is the system's aspect of what is going on. Are you being triangled? Is the other displacing pain? Are they defining themselves, someone else, or me? Are they taking responsibility for their own position, or are they blaming? It comes down to self-differentiation. If the other person is taking a non-anxious emotional stand, then process-wise they are self-differentiating and you should feel free to engage in the discussion. It will be easier too because they aren't unleashing their own anxiety on you. However, if they are anxiously defining you, then you want to avoid the content of the situation. They could be blaming you or anxiously trying to tell you what to do. Here are two examples. A person might say, I feel that your decision has some significant risks that I'd like for us to consider. Or they might say, you are risking everything we've worked for with your irresponsible decision. There are two emotional process clues going on here, the amount of anxiety and the level of self-definition. The first statement is non-anxious and self-defined. It's a non-anxious emotional stand. The second statement is filled with anxiety and is defining the other. In the former case, you should feel free to have a discussion, making sure to define yourself in a healthy way. Say what you believe while giving the other the freedom to disagree. In the latter case, if you get into the content of the situation by arguing or getting defensive, you will be providing the reactive feedback that will make the situation worse and perhaps chronic. Likewise, if you just give in, you will be encouraging the other to railroad you at will. Notice that the content of the situation is not mentioned. The content could be anything. It could be what you're doing with the family savings. It could be a business decision. It could be a career move. The point is, understanding the emotional process in the situation will help you to decide when to engage and when to avoid getting into the content of the situation. In the latter case, don't argue, don't agree. And sometimes listening is not enough. The anxiety of the other is so intense that they won't let you off the hook. They demand a response. They want you to engage. They've come looking for a fight. And they won't quit until they get it. In these cases, you need to understand paradox and playfulness. We've covered how chronic conditions require feedback to be sustained. Without reactive or adaptive feedback, the anxiety dissipates. In these situations, Friedman suggests that you think of yourself as an electrical transformer. You can increase the level of anxiety in the situation with your own reactivity. Conversely, you can act as a step-down transformer to reduce the anxiety or perhaps even be a circuit breaker where it dissipates altogether. Paradox can reduce the anxiety of a situation. Think of a tug-of-war and the tension in the rope is the amount of anxiety in the system. The more reactive you get, the harder you tug, the greater the tension in the rope. When both sides are pulling with all their might, the tension is at its max.
But what if you were to walk toward the other? There would be no tension. If you time it right, the other will fall on her butt. Paradoxes like this. Instead of giving someone the fight they're looking for, we go in the opposite direction. We don't argue. We don't agree. Edwin Friedman spent many years providing family systems therapy for clients, and in his book Generation to Generation, he shares one case study. He calls it Reversing Direction. It's on page 51. He writes, A good husband and dedicated father found that his wife had chronically been having affairs. He took her once to a marriage counselor, but she refused to go again. He continued for two years, desperately trying to make her see the light. He showed anger. He threatened. He tried making her jealous. At his wit's end, ready to throw in the towel, he heard a discussion at church about how families never teach their members to push one another away. We are trained to hang on to others or to withdraw, pull away. Pushing people we care about at others or into activities we don't care about is almost inconceivable. When a relationship is caught in a skid, we almost never think to turn the wheel the other way. The next day, when the husband came home, he found his wife on the phone. Predictably, he hung up quickly. Resisting the urge to berate her, he said, Listen, honey, I know you want some privacy. I'll go for a walk around the block. Predictably, the wife's behavior escalated. At the end of the week, she informed him she was going to Miami to visit an old boyfriend. He went to a travel agency and got her brochures on places to have fun in southern Florida, adding some suggestions based on his own experience. She took them without comment and flew off, returned within three days, and announced that she had had a terrible time. The following week, she joined him in counseling and continued long after he dropped out. This is not reverse psychology. The point here is the effect on the husband. It helps him to avoid being reactive. It's paradoxical. Let's break down the emotional process. The wife is creating a triangle between herself and her husband by having an affair. As long as the focus is on the affair, she can avoid taking responsibility for herself and the relationship. The more he tries to stop her, that is, be reactive, the more justified she feels in continuing. This creates a chronic pattern of affairs. The paradox here is to give her the freedom to make her own decisions. It's exactly the opposite of what we think we should do. But by avoiding reactivity, we give back responsibility for their own destiny. They won't like it, but they'll have to deal with it. What makes paradox so hard is our own anxiety. It's our super seriousness. We feel like we need to fix the situation when in reality there is nothing we can fix. The other will have to fix herself and we need to get out of the way. Paradox does this, so does playfulness. Playfulness is a form of paradox that can bring down the anxiety level in the room. It requires the ability to recognize emotional process so you can avoid getting into content. It's another way to avoid arguing and agreeing, but it's more active than listening. The primary effect of playfulness is to free us from the seriousness of the situation. The secondary effect is to do the same for others. Most importantly, it avoids reactivity. The problem is, it's difficult to be playful with those for whom we feel responsible. This is where self-differentiation comes in. To the extent that we are able to self-differentiate, we will only take responsibility for ourselves and not for others. 
This makes it easier to be playful. In Generation to Generation, Friedman describes a situation in a synagogue. He writes, A rabbi came into his Sunday school one morning to find teachers, parents, and the religious school principal terribly upset by the fact that a mischievous 11-year-old had transliterated the well-known Anglo-Saxon word for feces into its equivalent Hebrew phonetics. There was to be an important celebration that day, and it was clear that the wrong tone had been set from the beginning. Instead of entering the discussion going on about the psychological and religious import of the children's action, the rabbi noticed that the child had spelled the word mistakenly, with a long vowel instead of a short one. The rabbi ignored the content of the situation, berated the kid for not paying more attention to phonetic details, and then told him that he could only join the festivities after he had spelled it right 100 times. Process superseded content, and celebration carried the day. So think about this. It's an important morning in the synagogue, and the adults are feeling anxious about the celebration that day. That's where, that is the process that is going on. And this boy does this mischievous thing. He spells the word for poop in Hebrew, and they get upset about that. And what the rabbi recognizes is that the process of the situation is that they're anxious about something else and they're kind of directing their anxiety at this kid. And instead of getting into the content of the situation, the rabbi gets playful. He makes the kid correct the phonetics of it. He notices a phonetic error, makes the kid correct the phonetics of it, and makes the kid write the word 100 times. That kind of playfulness helps to loosen the anxiety in the room. It helps to enable people to get less anxious about something when they're actually redirecting their own anxiety at a place that doesn't, where it doesn't belong. They're triangling. And so playfulness is not about one-liners and quick comebacks. In fact, if it comes across as sarcastic, it will make the situation worse. It's about keeping your own anxiety in check as well as avoiding the content of the situation. I find it hard to be paradoxical or playful in the moment. The way to deal with this is to reflect on your most anxiety-producing situations, especially the chronic ones and especially the ones in your family of origin. Recognize the emotional process at work. Think about the patterns of reactivity that occur. Then think about how you can respond differently, paradoxically, playfully. This is where it's helpful to have a coach or therapist who can take you through the emotional process and help you practice your responses. The thing to remember is this, reactivity doesn't work. It makes things worse. So for most of this episode, I've focused on ways to avoid arguing or agreeing so you can avoid reactivity. But sometimes you will need to take a non-anxious emotional stand. I define a non-anxious emotional stand as saying what you believe while giving the other the freedom to disagree. The first step in standing up for yourself is taking responsibility for yourself by defining your own position. This is usually best done with an I statement. Say what you believe while keeping your own anxiety in check. The next step is to give the other the freedom to disagree. You can say something like, this is where I'm coming from. You don't have to agree with me. I just want you to know how I feel. This is really important because people don't like to be told what to do. 
They don't like to be told what to believe. They don't want to be told what to think. While it's possible you will still get a fight with this approach, you can be guaranteed that you'll get a fight if you make it a win-lose situation. If you try to convince the other that you're right and they are wrong, you're asking for a fight. So instead, say what you believe, but give the other person the freedom to disagree. Finally, stay connected emotionally. Even if they unload their anxiety on you, try to remain a non-anxious presence. Communicate that you care for them, and it's okay with you if they don't agree with you. And if you need to, be paradoxical and playful. This is not easy work. I have found that it takes a lifetime of being aware and intentional and practicing and working through different interactions over and over and over again. But over time, with that self-awareness and with that intentionality, you can get better at learning to take a non-anxious emotional stand, at learning to stand up for yourself in a healthy way. So that's it for episode 27. You can find show notes. I'll put a link to Generation to Generation in the show notes, and you can find that at thenonanxiousleader.com forward slash 27. You can also subscribe to my blog there. I send out an article every other week. I also send out a two for Tuesday email every Tuesday where I have two recommendations for things that I have found helpful in my role as a leader and just learning to be non-anxious, being more productive, growing in different areas of my life. And these are recommendations on which I make no money. I just offer them as a way to help you. So go to thenonanxiousleader.com and you can sign up. So that is it for this week. Until next week, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at thenonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.